Hello, and welcome to Between Two Palms, a podcast about art, ideas, and making things. I'm Evelyn Lassery, co-owner of Two Palms in New York, where we're celebrating 25 years of collaboration with some of the world's top contemporary artists. In this episode of Between Two Palms, we'll join a conversation between Antoine Sargent and photographer Nona Faustine, recorded in front of a live audience here at Two Palms in New York. Antoine Sargent is a writer and critic whose work has appeared in the New York Times, The New Yorker, and various museum and gallery publications. His new book, The New Black Vanguard, Photography Between Art and Fashion, seeks to recontextualize Black identity within and without the art world at large. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Nona Faustine is a photographer and visual artist whose work explores stereotypes of race and gender. Her work has been exhibited in the Brooklyn Museum and the Studio Museum in Harlem, and she was recently selected to join the inaugural class of Kehendi Wiley's Black Rock Senegal Residency. From all of us at Two Palms, please join me in welcoming Antoine Sargent and Nona Fosti. Hi, uh, I wanted to thank you guys for coming. We are definitely going to have a really interesting conversation um, about our nation and about our monuments. And um, I wanted to thank Nona for being in conversation with me. And, uh, you know, our, co- our, our first conversation was like I think in 2015 or 2016 about the White Shoe series. And what was kind of interesting to me about that particular series was the way that in which you were kind of thinking about the body um, as architecture, thinking about the body as monument. And I wanted to kind of start there. How did that series, White Shoes, inform the work that we see today? Well, you know, at first I tell people, like, it was like 22 years of thought okay. <laughs> that brought me to the White Shoes so series. But I was in grad school when I began that series. And... I graduated 2013, but I began it in 2012. And, you know, President Obama was in office and we had all these, like, ideas about hope and and, and post-black and all of that. Mm-hmm. But there was something, like, happening on the surface, not only with with myself in grad school and in that institution as an as a, a African-American artist, but also what was happening in the country. You know, the, the killings of black men and women and, and girls and boys had started to really get a lot of attention. And at the same time, my neighborhood was, was being gentrified in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And I was, I was thinking about the future a lot, about, you know, one day will they know I was in this neighborhood or I lived here and on my community and, and as the city was totally, you know, transforming right be- before our eyes, like, you know, it was about like the future and history. But then I was thinking about all those who had came before me and all over the city who built the city. And so, you know, where, where are their monuments? You know, it, it had always been in my head, you know, I think, now that I, I examine, you know, because as an artist, you make the work so intuitively, you know, you get an idea and bam, you're like executing. And sometimes you don't get the chance, you know, that, to, to really examine it and until after 
after, you know, and the people start to ask you, what was the catalyst that propelled you to make this, you know? It was a, a kind of also reactionary, you know, to my environment, to the history, to, to the way I felt um, in this grad school program that was very intense, very, you know, I, you're in the institution. And for artists of color, it's very di different from, from, I don't know, from anyone else. I, I've heard this from other artists of color, the challenges that we face when talking about our work and the things that we want to discuss, the, a, a wall comes up almost instinctively. And you have to push through it. You have to push through, you have to fight. And sometimes you don't win. <laughs> but I was determined you know, to, I thought this was important. I thought the history of New York City was important. I loved my city. You know, I, I, I took great Born pride in it as a Brooklyn Knight and a New Yorker. You know, even though I have Southern heritage, my both parents are from North Carolina. I was a diehard New Yorker, but I was thinking about, I had been thinking about those things for so long. The, the, one of what struck me, one of the things were that you said, will I be remembered? Will I be here? Right. And I think that comes, you know, through in those images and the ways in which you kind of construct those images. Can you talk about the ways in which you are thinking about producing that body? Well, I mean, you know, when you come to the idea of going to sites that held that kind of history, how do you communicate that to the public, right? Um, okay, so then you know you want to be there. You want to point to this thing. You want to say, but you can't point to that thing, right? So you have to form a language, have a language. And so I got this from my my education at High CP. You know, despite everything I went through, they did give me the knowledge to visualize those ideas about how do you call attention to a subject. And so, you know, of course I had this whole kind of history before me of artists who had did self-portraits, you know, Carrie Maywings, Lorna Simpson, and many others, you know, but those were the two women that, that I, and Renee Cox, mm -hmm. you know, um, definitely. But then you, you have to have your own language. And so in my readings, and also in my research, you know, I had come upon these images of enslaved people on a plantation in 1850. One of them was named Delia. And no, it was Venus Hottentot, uh, who I had seen years ago in a book in the Mets gift shop. And that stayed with me. You know, why? Why did that image? I mean, be, it's a searing image. Because she was a plus-size, dark-skinned woman, an African woman who who was put on display, and then the images of of um, the daguerreotypes mm -hmm. by J. T. Zeely and Louis Gazis. That history, because that was photography at the beginning. That was a new medium taking enslaved people and putting them on display as examples of inferiority. Right. So it's taking me through this whole history of photography, mm -hmm. the beginning, and it's something that, I don't know, just struck me. The two women, Delia, Venus Hottentot, and all of that, it just, it just came to me. And then here I was almost, not 
in any kind of way similar to their situation. But I was struggling. I was struggling. I was in a, in a, in a place where I was struggling. And so I just used them as like a kind of like muse or, you know, I, I had them on my walls and I would always look at them and I would, I would ask them questions and, you know, and I, and I just got more about, I want to, I want to challenge this history. I want to answer this history. Um, I saw myself as, as, as a kind of underdog in, in my program, I was telling someone <laughs> that I've, I've kind of felt like an underdog. And so I don't know. I just thought if you're going to say something, you know, about this history, like you have to, it has to be really powerful. It has to impact people. You have to hit them in the gut and make them like, listen, you know, <laughs> at first I was really scared to do that. Like I knew what it took to call attention to these spaces. Right. But like it takes a lot of strength to go there and actually do that, what's needed. And so um, after talking about it, you know, with a few close, close friends, they kind of gave me the permission, but I had already had it in myself to, I knew what it took. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just did it. And so it was, but it was also about like, you know, marking these sites for a future generation. The only thing that would be left because there's no markers, there's no physical, you know, most of them have nothing. It was like a call coming from the past to the future and back again. I think that one of what's kind of so striking about that body of work to me um, was the ways in which you were kind of owning space, right? And kind of taking back space and reclaiming space, right? Which is not unlike um, what you do in a different way in my country, right? Can you talk about the impetus behind this body of work? Well, I felt like my country was the other half of white shoes, Mm -hmm. where um, white shoes is, you know, the body, the black body, and the politics around it, and the site specifics of these sites that lack monuments, Mm -hmm. the My Country series was actual, the actual monuments, the ones that we uphold and revere in this country, the ones that seem to have so much American history, but there's a, a black history too running through a lot of them, but also then there are contested histories as well. Some of the, the moves that you kind of made, the gestures, right, the ways in which you use color and these... Um, in this particular series. Can you talk about um, how you're trying to call attention to those sites in the ways in which that you're kind of using these reds and blues and blacks? Well, you know, at first um, I started, like it happened as an accident, right? I've told this story where I was on the Staten Island Ferry photographing um, the Statue of Liberty and I didn't realize, like I did and I didn't see the frame of the window cutting through, cutting off the pedestal. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I'm like that. I'm not a super technical person. Um, I more operate like from the gut kind of. And so I saw it and I was like, no, it's not going to be in the frame. It's not going to be in the picture. And I shot it. And then when I went home and, and, you know, blew it up, it was like, it was just something so powerful that, that bar 
that cut this across is in liberty. Fragment of yeah, fragment of evidence, which was an abolitionist newspaper in, in slavery days. So it just vibrated. It, you know, when I put it on my screen, this this frame seemed to vibrate energy and it and like I said it became like a premonition for me during the election because we were all consumed that April with the impending uh, election and I, I just like I said I knew that Trump was gonna win it just it was a premonition and I often do that in my my other work in white shoes like I I look at at the environment, like before I go out, like I look for signs in the environment. Is this a good place? Is it not? Is it, it is a good day to go, shoot, no, you know. So I look for these signs and that was a sign. And so I knew I had to go to Washington and photograph the country as it was at that moment, right? But I waited till October, you know, I'm, I'm a mom and I had things going on. So, you know, but I also was, I, I'm also kind of like, even though people sometimes say, oh, you're so brave, you're fearless, but I'm not. <laughs> sometimes I'm really scared, and I was scared to go leave New York City, the confines of my, my city, and go to Washington. But I did. I, I, my daughter was in school one day, and I just like got on the train at Amtrak, my little backpack and my camera, and I had this idea you know, that I was going to photograph these monuments in ways that I hadn't before. It was just like a a look at the country at that time. And so while Obama was in office, that was, that was key. I had to have a snapshot of the country when Obama was president, before it all changed. <laughs> and so um, I also had been reading about the Revolutionary War and the fact that um, enslaved people were some of the first to fight against the British. You know, at Lexington and Concord, they were like the first on the line, right? And, you know, that also, like, I was like, well, why don't we know any of that? Like, why isn't that in some of these monuments, you know? Why is it the story of the Statue of Liberty and its origins told more to us in school? You do know? you want to explain the stuff? I mean, because I, I really do. I mean, I, I think that what you're saying is so powerful in the sense that, like, you know, monuments and what they represent change over time, right? We had, you know, um, someone recently go on TV and say the Statue of Liberty was about white European um, immigrants, you know, and that's not the history of that monument. That was right. not why that monument was given to America. Right. And I feel like you can more eloquently <laughs> explain well, it was story. It was given to us mm -hmm. at the end to commemorate the end of slavery, right. us ending after the Civil War. And I was at Berkeley and I, I was telling, through my research, I had found that the Statue of Liberty, uh, the model, was a, uh, was a black woman. And afterward, a professor at Berkeley came up on stage and she said, I wrote a book about that and you're wrong. She was like, it was, um, it was an Egyptian barber woman. And I was like... That's a black woman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I went to Egypt and I saw those people, okay? And they looked pretty black to me. I mean, they range, they range the color of, of African-Americans, but you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like, I was I, like... I do, I and, do. You know, I didn't want to, you know, be disrespectful and I was so happy and so I just let her have that one. But I knew what, <laughs> I knew what I had read and then I was like, I started thinking about it. I was like... 
Okay, but anyway, so, so that was, you know, so the histories of these monuments do change, and, the, and we, cha we change them mm -hmm. willingly and un sometimes unwillingly. Right. Sometimes we actually do forget. You know, we're a nation that's young and a lot going on, and so sometimes we forget. Right. But at the same time, I wanted to recreate this energy that I had in here. And my idea with this was, was that that black line was imbuing something, or adding something that was missing in the, in the monuments. Mm -hmm. The ones that are classic Americana, like the Washington Memorial, mm -hmm. who, that I read so much about Washington, um, his enslaved men, butlers that went into battle with him, that helped him, you know, um, the Lincoln Memorial, all those enslaved men who fought for, Frederick Douglass had to convince Lincoln to let them fight for their country, mm -hmm. you know, so why, when I went to the Lincoln Memorial, I, you know, I wanted to see, see, their names deserve to be there. I know it's all about the presidents, but I felt like their names right. need to be there. And um, I think the perfect way that that history is also answered mm -hmm. is from what I, I heard at the Smithsonian African American Museum, Je uh, Thomas Jefferson's, um, there's bricks with all his slaves' names on them behind him. Right. I think that is an incredible way to acknowledge those people that, that helped build the nation and helped, you know, um, support his presidency. The, <laughs> you know? What's so kind of interesting is, like, in this kind of abstract space, this kind of, you know, um, it, it's not exactly an aperture, but it, it does open up, you know, kind of the, the image in a way that for your consideration, right? So you can mm -hmm. consider um, a fuller history of right. America, right? Um, one of the things that's interesting that you use different colors and different images, and I was wondering if you could talk about um, the kind of, what the different kind of colors evoke in, um, in each of the, the uh, prints. So at first, you know, um, the black bar and it really stood for you know, African-American history, but also um, the, the void, mm -hmm. you know, what was missing. Mm -hmm. um, but then specifically when I get to the red, that's like contested. You know, anger. it's really, yeah. it, it's not it's not anger, okay. but it's contested. It's it's the blood mm -hmm. spill, definitely, the, and the symbol of life, mm -hmm. you know. But in particular, um, with these, like MJ Sims, who was, you know, the uh, gynecologist, right. you know, who did, you know, experiments on enslaved women. Mm -hmm. um, but the the um, plantation columns, it, it just, it, but I also love the color red, you know, um, and, and its power in, in African um, religion. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of that, but like in here, like where in the vibrancy, you almost feel like the energy off of this Columbus um, statue at 59th Street and then the other one in the back. Um, and, and for some reason, even though they're contested statues, the use of red uh, makes them come alive and they, they they have meaning where I can't even explain. They're doing something that I can't even explain. Right, there's like some blime in the yeah, like the, the, it's about the energy as well. Yeah. Um, and so, like those are my favorite when they're actually 
a movement. They, a lot of the red ones have this movement. And um, those, are, those are my favorite. Like um, the recent one in Charlottesville, mm -hmm. that was where I used the red light watercolor, you know? So it's an aesthetic thing as well as a conceptual thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that this might be a good time to talk about, you know, known as a photographer, um, and these are prints, right? And so there's a difference in the way that, you know, images show up um, right. in those two processes. And I was wondering if you can talk about um, why did you want to make prints and why and how the images might convey something different um, given the printing process. Yeah, I, I've always loved printmaking, like mm -hmm. doing black and white in the dark room. Always wanted to be a master printmaker. Um, and then I switched to color, and I did have experience, experience in making um, silk screens. I did, but really small scale. And I always, like, admired the work of Andy Warhol. And so... Death and um, disaster. Yes, and the images that he made around the civil, civil rights, rights movement. movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people don't... They, they think of him as just a pop artist, but he was, like, more than that. And so that... That always influenced me, and to it, cha it was a challenge, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and when I first, you know, envisioned the series, I just envisioned them as silk screens. It was, it's something about you know the texture um, of of silk screens and, and making them, and and the and the use of color and how you can manipulate them. It's different from photographs, right. you know. You can. Um, imbue them with more emotion, like MJ Sims, you know, like the photograph is, is slightly different from the silk screen. It's, it's, the photograph is kind of dull. And, and like I said, you, we use the ink to kind of bring out more of the drama of that statue and the meaning of it right now. Were you after a more, say, painterly quality or... The way that you kind of described your uses of, you know, red and black, it, I almost, it, it reminded me of the, the, the way that painters talk about, you know, kind of the colors and palettes that they're kind of interested in. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a freedom that you don't have in photography. You know, photography, when you, you know, now, you, I mean, you can go in Photoshop and, and manipulate, manipulate mm -hmm. but I, I don't know, it's something very... Um, <laughs> something kind of sterile about that. Mm -hmm. Like, I like the, the fun of getting your hands kind of and manipulating and the magic that can occur with, with acrylic and paint, you know. It's almost kind of like taking you back to, to image making as a child, you know. I just like the way, like, for instance, the Jackson, Jackson Mississippi, Mississippi. The, the plantation pillars, just the way that, like, took up the the aesthetic of, of a dream of a watercolor of a, mm -hmm. and, and I like al almost how it's camouflaged you you do you don't know and and I don't know it's something it's just something about the way the 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 ink the paint goes on the the paper there, there's what's also kind of interesting is that you use paper for the for these particular mm -hmm. prints and I wonder if you could talk about um, how do you arrived at paper well, I mean, it was two palms that gave that to me, that gave me that idea. I, I at first thought I would do canvas, but mm -hmm. for whatever reason, paper was suggested, and, and it looked good, mm -hmm. you know. 
and it, it was it's a heavy paper. It's right. not very fragile and it and it held the ink well. You know, that was another thing that was pointed out to me that this would hold the ink well. And it's it's very versatile. It's very um and I, I think it's it's really beautiful um paper that we used. Yeah, I agree. Um there's this moment that we're having in the country where we're thinking about um, the ways in which um, we honor our history, right? And monuments have come um, under review, right? And different parts of the country, from New Orleans to um, North and South Carolina to New York even, um, with J. Marion Sims. And, you know, one of the conversations that we're having, you know, when we, right before we started, was like, what replaces a monument, right? What do we want to see kind of in the space of, um, of that history, right? How do we recall that history, but also recall other histories, right? Um, one way is the way in which that you're kind of using color, right? And I, but I was wondering if you had other ideas around um, just if, and when some of these monuments go, what might replace them or what might you want to see um, our culture kind of engage in as a form of healing? Yeah, you know, of course, like my own selfishness, of course, I, I would want that, you know, want them taken down in many ways. But we don't live in that kind of world, right? You know, and it's been very complicated. It's been extremely complicated. I, I've been on panels around the country talking about this very thing. And I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was on a panel discussion at the Mississippi Museum of Art with two white scholars, white male scholars, and they were more radical than I was. They called, <laughs> yes, they called for the statues, all of them, to be taken down and melted they said only one should perhaps put one in a museum. And I was like, well, you know, we could maybe compromise, <laughs> you know, maybe we could like amend it, have plaques or other statues next to them to explain, right. you know, the, the whole conversation we're having. Uh, you know, it was so, I, I still don't have all the answers mm -hmm. really. And then this woman came up to me and she was like, I don't know, 70, 80 years old or something. And she's a Southern woman. She was like, you, you know, it was like as if she was pleading to me, you know, like this is in your hands now. You are the generation. But listen, I want to tell you something. And she was like, you may get what you want, but you're going to make an awful lot of people angry. You know, and I mean, I don't really care about that. But at the same time, <laughs> I did. I, I'm someone who can listen, who is open to you know, your views and what, what you feel. But at right. the same time, in the, at the end of the day, you've had your say, like, over, a, a, you know, a good hundred years. You've had your say, right? Um, and let's correct this. There's a lot of pain involved around this. And, I, you know, then I look, you know, in our conversations with David, you know, he was telling me about Germany and how Germany has had this way of correcting the past, with the way they honor, you know, Jewish people who have died in the Holocaust, you know, where there's plaques in the ground where they have lived, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it's, just a, it's just a different way. And people have, you know, taken it. Right. You know, they have, they, they have embraced it. Yeah, I mean, and you have to lead. You have to lead strongly. Otherwise, you know, go home. I don't know. I've heard many good ideas about it, but I don't know what... 
Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in some ways like going to spend my summers in Germany, which is really kind of a bizarre <laughs> thing from a kid from Chicago to do, but I studied German. And, you know, there were a lot of different ideas around um, how do you correct a recent history, right? Um, and so you have places like Dachau where you have, as you talked about, the stones in the ground and they're kind of, um, they're heated mm -hmm. stones mm -hmm. to kind of symbolize um, um, the kind of warmth of a human body, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of um, leave with us, you know, the fact that these were real humans, right? Mm -hmm. And these are real people that, you know, kind of died. Or you have, say, in Kalso, Germany, um, the, the Nazis destroyed a fountain there. And so what they did was not rebuild a fountain, they inverted the fountain. And so the fountain runs into the ground and the, the, the water also runs into the ground to kind of talk about um, this notion of um, kind of what was lost, so to show you what was lost, but also to show you what was there, right? And yeah. so you can go underneath and you can see mm -hmm. um, the fountain, right? right. And so, there, I mean, there's many models, but I think that one of the things that's about the, uh, the American monument that is kind of interesting to me, and perhaps you have you know, thoughts about this, is that, you know, they in some ways, you know, are meant to... Um, represent American empire, mm -hmm. right? And notions of monumentality, notions of um, an American narrative mm -hmm. that is the official narrative, right? right. And right. so if you think about the ways in which we confront these monuments, say we walk up to the Lincoln Memorial and how we're this big and the memorial's that big, right? right? Um, it's to kind of enforce, you know, kind of a history in us. And so... Right. I, I don't know, like my idea of, of a potential monument is something that's human scale, you know, something that changes, right? right? Um, maybe every generation, right? To give um, over to each generation a possibility to think about what they want to honor and what and how history may have changed or, you know, perhaps we've gotten a better view of what was happening in a certain administration or whatever, right? right? Um, I was wondering if you had thoughts about, about how... You know, maybe perhaps a progressive model for the way that we think about monuments. Well, you know, I think that the MJ Sims mm -hmm. statue that definitely had to come down. Right. I mean, it's just so grotesque. Mm -hmm. It should, like, like you said, William, it never should have been up in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think all these statues that went up so quickly in the last hundred, fifty years, some of them, forty years. Have, have we weren't examining mm -hmm. them at all. And, you know, I think that we are right to, to now replace them. Mm -hmm. Without how we replace them and with what, I do like the idea of what is going up now mm -hmm. in that place. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's just only fair. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, to be honest, it's just only fair. And new ones can go up. And then maybe the next generation, they'll have another idea. I think yeah. each generation needs to answer the call to mm -hmm. what they feel is important right. and, and deal with it how they feel. You know, and I think right now, we, with the exception of a few, we are dealing with them in the right way. I mean, are there any sculpture, any monuments that are in your series, my country, that you think should stay and that a different intervention should happen? Um, some some of them. Um, if I had, I, I would say 
the Museum of Natural History. I think that should be amended. I don't know how, mm-hmm. but I don't think it should come down yeah. for some reason. I mean, aesthetically, it's, it is a beautiful statue. It really is. But at the same time, the... the the, the Genocide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the two characters, the, the African man and yeah. the Indian man, uh, you know, below him, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, I don't know. So that. So you think that's an opportunity for us to kind of yes, think more critically absolutely, absolutely. about kind of the positionality and... Plus, I don't think that the Museum of Natural History is ever going to take that down. They don't have to, you know, that's their property. Do you then agree with, so the city went through a process around Christopher Columbus, right? right? The Columbus statue and on 59th Street and this kind of grand, you know, uh, parkway. Do you agree with the city? So the city's process went through a process and the city's process, if you don't know, um, is that they assign... Um, a certain kind of action to each monument that they reviewed, right? And so it could be taken down and replaced. It can be modified in terms of intervention. So what what Nona has done here, right, is is, is an intervention, right? Um, Or there could be a plaque put there to commemorate the, the kind of hurt people or marginalized people or to more clearly define what actually happened in history, right? Right. Um, and with Columbus, they decided to keep the statue there and to add in a plaque that's more clearly defined um, Columbus' role in American history and Western um, American history and their Western imagination, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, if we're being honest about you know, Columbus, um, he didn't really kind of add a lot to the, the American narrative, but right. um, he was a figure that we relied on, right? right. Um, in terms of European dominance, in terms of you know, discovery and all of these kind of notions that came from you know, um, him selling the ocean blue in right. you know, 1492. Um, <laughs> which, is some, you know, which is so crazy, because like, you learn these things as kids, and right. you're like... And it's ingrained And in it you. becomes yeah. like the narrative, right? right? right. And, it, and, and so, then when you find out, you feel cheated. You feel really um, angry. Right. You know, you, you do. I would like to see, you know, I don't like passing by that statue personally, Christopher Columbus, but at the same time, um, I understand that it was a private group of citizens that raised money mm-hmm. for that and... You know, but isn't so. that the story of most monuments? True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would like to see that amended. Like, I would like to see like a Carol Walker treatment of that statue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I heard recently about the, uh, you know I've seen the the new statue the she made at the mm-hmm. Tate, and I I feel that that would be awesome. I was there for the opening, yeah. and it was a really astonishing. Statue and the fact that you know it really is a play on you know a British fountain that sits outside of Buckingham Palace and that you know they were open to kind of that type of intervention um, in a contemporary art museum, nonetheless. But um, it is interesting that those two statues now, in our imagination, holds kind of equal weight. So we can think about empire, we can think about leisure, right? We can think about kind of all these things that. Um, 
we're supposed to be constructed parts of civil society with those and kind of by contrasting those, um, those, those monuments. Some of the images have, you, you clearly see the monument in mm -hmm. view and some of them you obscure it completely. Can right. you talk about that gesture? Well, it, it's just the progression of my, my practice and the ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first it was like this straightforward kind of snapshot, you know, and intervention. Mm -hmm. And then it was really playing with the imagery, really evoking, you know, feeling and emotion in them that, that as I went along, I just wanted to challenge myself. Mm -hmm. The whole series in the beginning was one big exercise and challenge to photograph, you know, this country's greatest monuments in ways that had never been seen before. And then it was it was uh, pushing myself again, you know. Okay, now how do you do it even more, further, further, you know? Then it became almost like, you know, more like paintings. I I wish I was able to paint, and so that, you know, gave itself or lend itself to to the work as well. With that, we're gonna add, we're gonna open it for a few questions. Does anyone have a question? Um, thank you both. This is marvelous. Um, when I first saw the work, uh, and when I sort of spoke to you and Antoine about this, I was taken aback. And the reason why I was taken aback is because I had confronted this duality uh, where I'm very steeped and aware of the history of this country and its abuses to people who look like myself. So I can say I don't have a personal affinity for any of these, you know, um, sculptures. And then I saw it with this red line across it. And I was upset. In a moment, I, I was taken aback. I was like, am I a patriot? Like, what? <laughs> you know, what just happened? What just happened? Um, and sort of confronting that conditioning um, was a sort of a big deal can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Growing up, like in my family, like we're, we're the most patriotic American. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, I, I always grew up hearing like, you know, African-Americans are some of the most patriotic Americans. You know, we fought in all these wars and da, 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 da. And, and that is true. Like, you know, your sense of Americanness is is very strong in a certain generation. You know, I guess I'm that generation, you know, like 70s, 80s baby, you know. And so, you know, I guess it's about my, my identity as well through the work um, and about what it means to be American, who's American, um, what are the, the truths and the lies that are told we tell um, we tell to ourselves, to the world. It's a lot of questioning in the work, and particularly now. Like, for instance, like, I dare say his name, <laughs> Trump, you know, um, this whole thing about who is American? Who is, who, black people are not American. And then when I went over to Egypt, that's all I was called, American, America. I, mean, I was like, huh, what? You, you see me as American? Like, it's almost so ingrained in you that you're not kind of... You know, and and I think all my life it was like exam, kind of examining that, and that's what the work is doing now. It is is still asking questions, you know, questions that that I do know the answer, and then I don't know the answer. Um, questions that I think the public should be asking themselves, 
um, and addressing. You know, I think the power of, of art and, and, its, and its duty is to evoke that, is to get us to have these conversations, to question um, these things. And so I hope that answers some of your, some of your question. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the, the joke I made earlier was that, you know, black people are most patriotic or during things, or during 4th of July, right? Like, that is a holiday of July and that black people love, right? <laughs> and and which, which gets you to some of the complications around what you feel when you see these monuments, right? And you know that, you know, it wasn't just Washington fighting, right? right and you right. know that it wasn't just, you know... Um, you know, whatever the scenario is, right? right. That, that at every step in this country's story, there were black people, right? right. And that, that that is honored, right, um, in the community um, far more than outside the community. And so I, I think that, like, those dualities are so kind of interesting. I think when you think about black, black police officers, you also get that same kind of duality or what, you know, is called double consciousness, right? This kind of... Um, uh, commitment to kind of the community, but also commitment to um, larger American life, right? Because in the end, you know, we are as American as anybody, anybody else, else right? right? And so I think that like those feelings are in some ways normal, and and in some in some ways um, like just so obvious, right? That that you would have um, that type of reaction given the history of your family in this country, right? Mm. Which is from right. the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what these very straight vertical and horizontal lines are doing formally. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just from hearing you talk about creating space within our histories and within our public spaces, right, for black histories and black people, do, do the, how do these create space? Because literally it's creating space within yeah. these frames and so, yeah. Yeah, it's a half-baked question comment, but I'm really interested in what you... What you, you know, sometimes when I look at that, that, in the black ones, that black line, it, it also makes me think of like a, a heartbeat, you know, like a current, like a current going through the country, a pulse. Mm -hmm. Then there's something like, what's in that blackness, that black line? What's in, like, a black hole, you know, um, in space, you know? So there's that, that I've, I've and I've, I'm still processing what it means. And then I've, I've heard other people talk about it and what they see in it. And, and sometimes it's like, they, maybe they're right, you know? Like, you know, artists, we make the work in one vein and then it goes out in the world and it takes on another meaning. And we can't control that. Like, and I, I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I think a lot of, sometimes the opinions and feedback that I get, I'm like, maybe they're right too, you know? Um, so, I, it, so sometimes, I, I don't mean to like dilute my interpretation mm -hmm. and my artistry, but... I, I'm also open to it. I, mean, I know what it is that I'm after, and, and I seek to share that, and I hope that you know, people understand that and get that and see that. But at the same time, um, you know, 
I think it's, it's up for interpretation sometimes. I mean, I think that's a super generous gesture from an artist, you know, because that's not always the case. And so, you know, I appreciate I know, I, that. I know some people go, no, no it's exactly. not that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and, and I do, you know, yeah. like, for instance, in White Shoes, I do, I do correct people, people when they when get it wrong, wrong you yeah. know. But I think, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know, for, for this, like, you know, because their images or you know monu- um, monuments that are so important to the country, I think I'm I'm just open to it. Like I share that, and then it's like, okay, I give it over to you. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that's kind of really powerful about these kind of the the physical creating of space in these monuments, um, two things. One is that it doesn't just create space for black people. It creates space for all of us to imagine. And so in some ways, these monuments become um, more representative of you know the possibilities of this country, right? Exactly. Um, and then the other thing, one of, what I, in thinking about the work and trying to kind of uh, draw connections to um, your photo background, I thought actually about Royde Carava and the ways in which that, in the, in, in the he's, ways he's that- He's one of my heroes. He, okay. he is one of my heroes. The fact that you see that in the color exactly. is amazing. Because I thought about- black and white exactly. master. And I thought about the way that he really made space for us in the shadow. shadow. And the way that he was thinking about what is possible of black identity, of black humanity, in the shadow, and how you had to literally look harder Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to see it, right? Oh my God. And so there's you this. You just connected me to something I hadn't even thought right. of. Right. I mean, and so, like, I mean, that, that is, was my first kind of impulse, was this kind of idea was like, there was this sense of, you know, his image is this sense of like protection, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. sense of like, you know, you have to kind of work hard to, to um, see, see them. Yeah. them because he's trying to protect right. them, right? Right. And which I think opens up kind of, you know, as you're kind of craning your neck and you're kind of craning to look at, to look and to kind of um, try to figure out what is, you know, make out what, you know, what's there. I think there's a similar process that happens in your photographs where you really have to kind of think about in those moments of like, okay, what monument is that? Who is that? What does he mean? Like, right. why is she do, you know, like all of those questions that happen, right, allow us to kind of have a deeper moment with those monuments, right? A deeper engagement than even say, you know, I went to school in DC and so I spent a lot of time right. with these right. monuments, than say like going to the mon- you know, going down to the monuments and looking at them like, okay, cool, that's like Abe Lincoln and then moving <laughs> on, right? This is this really kind no, of each one makes was, you focus. was chosen for a specific reason. In all of my photographs, everything there is as I wish it to be mm-hmm. and mean something. Right. Like in the white shoes, you know, it's conceptual language and everything means something. <laughs> the same thing here. Everything is there for a reason, you know. I was yes. just gonna say, um, I feel like these, the monuments, the Americans, for all of us, as you just pointed out, all of us that feel the Americans. And I think because we grew up with the symbolism of these, it's an opportunity I like to see more of a plaque than taking it down because they do get so much attention. The plaque gives you a chance to fix the story and get it right. 
In other words, because the attention is there, and what I'd like to see is new monuments made to right. the new narrative of Definitely. correcting things as opposed to taking it down. I think fixing it with a document, you know, a monument, uh, a plaque, telling the correct story is more important than taking it down because it's a chance to tell the story. Yeah, there's that too. A lot of people say once you take it down, then uh, a whole group forgets the, that that was even there and why it was there and why it was contested. And right, mm -hmm. with that story, right. Add it. It's easy. Right. But add more monuments. Yeah, add more monuments. Who gets to tell the story and who gets to decide whether something's amended and taken down? Is it the community? Is it the group? You can't want, I think, I think the community you know, should definitely have a say. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it should be left up to politicians because as we all know, they can be swayed, they can be bought. And I think it should be a community, <laughs> I think it should be a community process. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was actually on the, the, I'll speak very briefly um, about this, but I was on the committee to replace the Jim Marion Sims sculpture maybe three or four weeks ago. Um, the city kind of convenes. And I, I think coming out of that experience, um, and it will be replaced, and there will be, um, there will be an artist who um, gets to kind of um, think about um, that space in relationship to community. Community was very much involved. Um, but I also think about that it should be community, as in like the people around, that live around it, but it also, there also needs to be, in my opinion, a kind of a, a conversation with the kind of larger city, the larger, larger country, the lar you know, like, and I don't know how, I don't have the answer, you know, about, uh, around that, but I, I do think that, that these monuments in some kind of almost psychic way, right? We don't all live in D.C., but we all feel the presence of those monuments, right? We didn't live in the, we didn't live in the South, but we feel the presence of those monuments. And I, so I think that, like, those discussions should be kind of opened up beyond just, you know, um, the immediate community to really kind of think about us as, like, a collective people. And, and I think we're really doing that as a nation, um, you know, it, it's, it's about healing, you know, it really truly is. And I think that we, we are doing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we may get it wrong, we may get it right, but I think we have to do something now to take this up and, and answer the call because it's an incredible opportunity that has presented itself. And I think it can lead us to healing. You know, it truly can. Between Two Palms is recorded live at Two Palms in New York City. You can follow us on Instagram at Two Palms NY and visit us online at twopalms.us. Be sure to like and subscribe to Between Two Palms to hear previous episodes and to hear more from artists, curators, and collectors. On behalf of Antoine and Nona and all of us at Two Palms, thanks for listening. Until next time.